Good morning. I am so glad today is not Easter. Are you? Think about it. You would have had to like put all the fancy clothes on today. I mean, you look awesome, by the way. You look great. But think about it. If it was Easter today, you'd have like all these new clothes on. You'd wonder if your hair was all right and stuff like that. And, and you would have rose-colored glasses on. You know what I'm saying? You wake up on Easter morning and you have to get appropriately, I don't know, emotional about the fact that you're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And, and you're going to hear what I'm going to read in just a moment. But you hear it every Easter. So I am so glad today is not Easter because you would have these glasses on. I couldn't see your eyes that way. But plus, you, you would put the Easter gloss on it. You'd put the Easter airbrush on it and it would look really cool. It would kind of have that little hazy background and everything's focused in on the on the empty tomb but you 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 would probably miss a few things see what we've got today is the detroit version of the resurrection no offense to those who come from detroit but i have friends who live there okay this is the blue collar version of the resurrection this is the we've called this this series within the series of matthew the undiluted gospel and and i want you to see it in that way today so it's great that it's november Okay, Now, I need to come clean on one thing before we read God's Word. I have been saying that we've been in, in Matthew for like four years. I guess I lied. It's been five. It, I went back and checked, and it was, it was September of 2008, which makes it like five years and two months and today is the next to last sermon in Matthew. I guess you call it the penultimate sermon in Matthew. And um, so there you have it. So we're, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. When you find that, please stand with me to read God's word. Okay, we'll be reading verses 1 through 15. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. 
And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we come to you today from, from lives that uh, might have been affected by lies, lives that might be affected by discouragement. And Lord, we need a healthy dose of your truth to revive our souls. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit and through your Word you would change lives today, that you would change ours, and that you would encourage hearts and and draw people to yourself. All for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Okay, good. You've you've taken off the rose-colored glasses. I'm glad you don't have those today. Um, Remember, this is the industrial strength version the undiluted gospel and and let me just ask you when a lie is told and you are affected how do you feel when a lie is told and you are affected and you start to be discouraged what happens to your hope The resurrection of Christ deals in two things that the world is in desperate need of today, truth and hope. And it's very easy to get diverted from the truth and believe lies. What happens in your life when you start believing something that is not true? And then you find out later that you were believing something that is not true. The resurrection of Christ deals in truth and hope, and it's very easy to be diverted from the truth and believe lies, and it is very easy to become discouraged and lose hope. Christ's disciples were in danger of that, and so are we today. What I want you to see today is the truth of the resurrection and how that gives us hope so that we are able to sustain through every issue of life. The resurrection of Christ is a glorious truth that assures us of hope so that we wouldn't be diverted by lies from the truth, so that we wouldn't get downcast and discouraged and lose hope but rather that we would engage in fruitful service, that we would engage in sacrificial service to Jesus. So we're looking today at the resurrection account, and it is November, not Easter. And we're seeing this truth, but we just read about a lie that was perpetrated, a fix that was put over it, a cover that was put on the truth, the part of the Jewish religious leaders and military. Now, The one thing I need to mention is when you look in Matthew 28, you're you're reading one gospel writer's version of the resurrection. And of all the resurrection accounts, all four gospels have it in there. And they all have three things in common. One, there's an empty tomb. You're dealing with an empty tomb, okay? That's kind of the obvious one. We're talking about the resurrection. So all of them have an empty tomb in, in their account. Number two, someone sees the resurrected Jesus in each one of the gospel accounts. 
So empty tomb, seeing the resurrected Jesus. And the third thing that all gospel writers have is that there is news that needs to go and be told to others. So empty tomb, seeing the resurrected Jesus, and then go tell the news of his resurrection. But there are also specific themes in each of the resurrection accounts, not just in the gospels, but also in Acts and 1 Corinthians. For example, you think about Mark. Mark was stressing the theme of the unbelief of the disciples in his account of the resurrection. So it's very clear in Mark how unbelieving they were in this context. Luke, on the other hand, stresses that Old Testament prophecy and Jesus' own predictions were fulfilled. They came true. John selects a few select events and describes them in greater detail. You get to the book of Acts, and very clearly in the apostolic preaching, you've got the resurrection of Christ being preached, and the idea that believers are called to be worldwide witnesses of the gospel. That's what's brought out in Acts. In 1 Corinthians, the many appearances of Jesus after the resurrection. But if you think about what we're looking at today in Matthew, there's really two things. Number one, going to Galilee to see Jesus. He's risen from the dead. You've got an appointment with him in Galilee. And number two, the truth side by side with a big, bold lie. So that's what Matthew is focusing on. That's what we're going to look at, okay? So first of all, the truth. Start with me at verse one. It's after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week. So it's on Sunday. And Matthew says that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Other gospel writers say there were other people. They were not the only people. Matthew's retelling just tells about these two. Salome was there and others as well. But they go to see the tomb. Now, because you don't have your Easter rose-colored glasses on, what you'll notice there is that they were going to see the tomb. They weren't going to find Jesus risen from the dead. I think it's so easy at Easter to go, oh, yeah, they were running because they were expecting to see an empty tomb. Absolutely not. They were expecting to find a corpse. They were expecting to find a bloody, mangled, stiff corpse. That's what they were expecting. In fact, when the angel talks to him, he says, he's not here for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. He's not here. He says, I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. You're looking for a dead body. That they weren't coming victorious to the tomb. So they come to see the tomb and behold. Now you know that Matthew uses this word behold a lot. If you've been around as I've been preaching through Matthew, you know that behold is a big word in Matthew. It means listen up. This is big. You've got to notice what is being said. Well, behold, there was a great earthquake. Earthquake, that's a behold word. Okay, That's a behold word. This was the second earthquake now associated with the death and resurrection because you've got after Jesus' death, the big earthquake. Now you've got this probably localized earthquake at the tomb. And an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Matthew's the only one that talks about the, the, um, the outward glory of this whole situation. His appearance was like lightning. You don't like to be struck by lightning, right? It's not a good thing, is it, right? You like to watch lightning, but lightning is, is uh, brilliant. It is, it is shocking. 
And his appearance was like that. And Matthew has explained the earthquake, the angel, the powerlessness of the military and the priestly um, rulers to actually you know, snuff out this story, even though they were, had some measure of success. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And verse 4 tells us the guards. Oh, remember their guards there? Now, do you remember after Jesus died and, and as he was being buried, they went to Pilate and they said, hey, this imposter said before he died that he would raise on the third day. He would be coming back to life. So what you need to do, Pilate, is, is set up a guard. And Pilate's like, uh, no, I've washed my hands of this already. I'm not doing anything of the sort. You take care of it yourself. And they set up a guard. They had soldiers. They had sealed the tomb. It was secure, humanly speaking. Now, it says the angel rolled away the stone. The stone. That was not for Jesus to get out. It was for the people to go in and see an empty tomb. Jesus, at this point, was already risen from the dead. Here's an interesting thing. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that anyone saw Jesus rise from the dead. Have you ever thought about that? There's nowhere in these accounts that says that they witnessed Jesus coming back to life. What they witnessed, what they saw, was an empty tomb. Now, what is significant about that? I think, I love the fact that no human saw Jesus rise from the dead because it puts every single human on the same level playing field. The women had to take it on faith. The disciples had to take the news from the women on faith. They, we have to take this news on faith. Have you seen Jesus before? No, you haven't. First Peter says, we haven't seen Jesus, but, we're, but those who, who, who believe in him are going to be with Jesus someday, but you haven't seen him, but you believe in him by faith. The angel says to, to the women, don't be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Now, here's another thing. This is a mild rebuke. It's not a harsh rebuke. But it's not like, hey, yeah, you know, on Easter we're going to be reading this in church, so I need to say these words. No, it's, you should have been looking forward to a resurrection, not bringing spices to a dead body. One of the other gospel writers says he, he brought, they were bringing spices. And you don't do that for an empty tomb. They weren't going to, you know, deodorize it or something like that. They were expecting to see a dead body. So he says, he has risen as he said. There's the rebuke. He told you that he was going to do this. You should have believed. So come see the place where he lay. And then go quickly. Tell his disciples that he has been risen from the dead. He's going before you to Galilee. You've got an appointment with him in Galilee. So they depart quickly. Verse 8, from the tomb with fear and now great joy. So their discouragement, their being downcast is, is, is away, and now they're, they're, they're frightened in a good way and joyful because they have heard that Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, other gospel writers are saying they didn't really believe the story so much. And, and one of them even says they, went back, they were going back to their homes. It's an interesting thing that what happens next is they go and Jesus meets them. You look at verse 9. Jesus met them. And the thing that Jesus says to them is, Hi, how are you doing? It's me. And then he says, um, Don't be afraid. 
And what he was doing is telling them, don't keep doing what you're doing. Don't keep being afraid. Go and tell my brothers and go to Galilee, to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. He had to give them the message once again. He, he greets them, and they come up to him, and they take hold of his feet. This is very important. They were holding on to a real body. It wasn't a hologram. It wasn't a, a ghost. It wasn't a, a picture. It was a real body. They were holding on to real feet. And they worshipped him. Jesus is receiving worship as God because he is God. He is deserving of all worship and honor and praise. And they are worshiping the, resur- the resurrected Christ. And he's receiving this worship. Don't keep being afraid, he tells them. Go and tell my brothers. Go to the Galilee and there they will see me. Now if you wanted to summarize and kind of put all the gospel accounts together on how it actually went down, you would come up with either two, three, or four different versions. Here's one, okay? Here's one way of you could kind of uh, in chronology put it together. They find the stone rolled away. They come to the tomb, find the stone rolled away. The women enter the tomb but find it empty. While they're still in the tomb, the angels suddenly appear. The angel who speaks reminds them of Jesus' promises and sends them to find Peter and the disciples to report that Jesus was risen. The women do as they are told. The disciples are skeptical at first, but they run to the tomb. John arrives first. Peter actually enters the tomb first. They see the linen wrappings, but empty, intact, proof that Jesus was risen, and they leave immediately. Meanwhile, Mary Magdalene returns to the tomb, is standing outside weeping when Christ suddenly appears to her, John 20. That's his first appearance. Soon after that, he meets the other woman on the road and appears to them as well. That's what we read where he is uh, giving them the message again. And later that day, he appears to two others on the road to Emmaus. Then he appears to Peter. The thing about this is, this is the truth. This is the truth side of of the coin. Now, in a moment, we'll be looking at the lie, verses 11 through 15, a, a, a horrible lie that was perpetrated, and, and pe- st- some people still believe today. But let's focus on the truth. The resurrection announces truth. There are several truths, a lot of truths that we could point out. I want to point out several that the resurrection is announcing, the truths that the resurrection of Jesus Christ announces. Number one, it announces the fact that God accepted the payment that was made for sin. God accepted the payment that was made for sin. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you know, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain, because you're believing that your sins have been paid for, and they haven't been, if he's not risen from the dead. Now, it's almost Christmas. There's the Black Friday thing and all that. And my guess is you're going to be buying stuff. You're going to be trying to make payments. You might, they're not going to take seashells. So you're going to be bringing cash, credit card. You'll be trying to pay with PayPal or something. Maybe even a check. If you want to know what that is, I'll tell you later, okay? And you might try to pay and they'll say, no, we don't accept that form of payment. We don't take checks or whatever. Okay? There was only one payment that would suffice in this context of, of dying for the sins of the world, and it was the perfect lifeblood of Jesus Christ. That is what was given. He gave his life for us. He shed his blood for us. 
Colossians 2 says that in him, in Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. This is speaking to believers in Christ. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, believers, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. See, a payment had been made, and the payment was accepted. The payment of Christ for your sins was accepted. It even says that he set those legal demands, the debt aside, nailing it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. There's the resurrection. So in the resurrection, the truth that is being announced, first and foremost, is that God has made, accepted the payment that was made for sin. But there's something else. Just the idea of an empty tomb should tell us something. If we're raised with Christ, what it tells us is death cannot hold the believer. Death cannot hold the believer. You can be taken into custody. Someone could, you know, use a zip tie and, and uh, hold your wrists together. They could put handcuffs on you. But Satan does not have a kung fu grip. He can't hold you. Death cannot hold you. Romans 6 says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might, too, walk in newness of life in john 11 jesus says i am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me will live even if he dies so death cannot hold the believer and the other thing i want to point out that the resurrection is announcing this truth that is announcing is that in fact life is eternal in christ life is eternal in christ when nicodemus came to jesus by night this is when Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and you live even if you die, that's eternal life. It's not temporary. Death is not the end. Death cannot hold you, and it is not the end. And we use so many temporary things in life, don't we? We get temporary jobs temporary living situations, all sorts of temporary things till we move on to something else. But not eternal life in Christ. The Bible says we will be changed, we will be resurrected. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 talks all about the resurrection of Christ. It is the bedrock of the gospel. Paul starts in verse 1, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and the twelve and 
appeared to more than 500 brothers all at one time, most of whom are still alive. Goes on and says if Christ hasn't been raised, then our, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. It goes on to say that if Christ has been raised, we also will be raised. We will live eternally with God. Here's what he says, verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And that's not just a verse for the church nursery. People mess around with that verse. We shall not all die. Sleep is code in the Bible for die. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you didn't get the church nursery thing. You didn't get that. People say that in the church nursery, we will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Misuse of scripture. The dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Sting of death is sin. Power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's through his resurrection. Life is eternal in Christ. God accepted the payment for sin. Death cannot hold you if you believe in Christ. And life is eternal in Christ. That is the truth. But not all people believe that truth. Plenty of people believe a lie. Plenty of people say, no, no, Jesus wasn't even buried. There's the no burial theory about about the burial of Christ. (laughs) He didn't really get buried. Or, hey, mistaken identity. They saw this guy, they thought it was someone else. You know, he put on a funny nose and, and some glasses or something, or he put on a wig or put on one of those beards or something like that. Oh no, he, uh, everyone was hallucinating. They didn't really see Jesus. It was a hallucination. All sorts of lies that people will perpetrate. Well, look at verse 11. They're going. Now, who's they? They're going. It, the women are going to tell the disciples that Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, think with me for a moment about that. Here are the disciples, fearing for their lives. They should. If your leader gets killed, you're probably next. So they're fearing for their lives. They're discouraged. They're downcast. They're probably depressed. They're thinking there's no hope. All is lost. And get this. Jesus is already risen from the dead. He's already risen. He's already alive. But they're still believing a lie. It's hopeless. When I was in seminary back in the 80s, there was a book they had me read called Telling Yourself the Truth. And I love books that, that j- the, whole, the title you get the whole book with, you know. You don't have to read the book. You just go with the title. Tell Yourself the Truth of Scripture. I mean, we're always talking to ourselves and telling ourselves lies. And we're supposed to be telling ourselves the truth from Scripture. But the lie, the believing lies, robs you of hope. It robs you of hope. Believers do this. An unbeliever's life is based on believing lies. But believers do it too. So the resurrection assures you of hope. But the lie takes that away. 
Verse 11, they were going, behold, some of the guards. Remember there was a guard? They make it all secure and, and they put the, the, uh, the uh, closure on, the, uh, on the, the grave and they're thinking it's really secure. Well, they go, the guard goes into the city and tells the chief priest all that had taken place. I love this. The first people preaching the gospel after the resurrection is, are pagans, unbelievers. People that don't believe the story are telling the story. You see that? They go and tell the chief priests all that had taken place. So the earthquake, the angel, them getting struck down like dead men, fainting basically, and the empty tomb. They're telling the, the, the chief priests all about this. I don't know about you, but if I had seen that, I'd be freaked out of my mind. I would be so beside myself. They run and tell the chief priests. Look at verse 12. When they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they had to have a meeting. They find out that the security that they had put in place either failed or something really went wrong and so they basically said we need to have a meeting here and figure out how we can cover this up my guess is this was so shocking of news they couldn't have made this up and and here's one reason those those guards go and tell that story they're dead they're dead men it's it's their death warrant they they're not going to live past that so they gave them a sufficient sum of money. The soldiers got a sufficient sum. What that means is, uh, literally that means big money. They gave big money to the soldiers. And, and they said this, verse 13, tell the people. I love this. You know, you know, by the way, when you're telling a lie, do you know that you can never get the lie good enough to cover your tracks? You know the lie always has holes like Swiss cheese? Check out this one. This is a whopper. Tell the people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Hello, you're guards. You're like military. You're not supposed to sleep. What, you're taking a nap on the job? Off with their heads. That's what's going to happen. They're like, no, no, no. We got got pilot for you. Don't worry. We'll, We'll cover for you. Really? So here's the deal, though. It seems like they had their price because they gave them big money and they told that lie. They told that lie against themselves. They, the disciples came and stole him away. You know, they're so big and strong and we're just, you know, not very strong. And oh, and, oh, and we were asleep. Yeah, when you're asleep, you really can see all that, right? They had like, what, hidden camera or something like that? What? They, they, how could you see it when you're asleep? It's so ridiculous. And, and we'll cover for you. Matthew says this story has been told among the Jews to this day. Now Matthew wrote this gospel about between 50 and 60 AD. So 20 to 30 years down the road, this story is still getting circulated. Actually, the story is still going on today. But even look in the book of Acts. If you're reading through the Bible with us, you would have read Acts 27 and 28 yesterday. And in fact, go with me there. Acts 27 and 28. Then you could say that you, you're reading through the Bible and stuff. Uh, Acts 27 and 28. Paul, Acts 28, Paul arrives in Rome and he had made this 
this meeting with the people. He's trying to figure out what's going to happen next, right? He calls the local leaders. Verse 17, Acts 28. Calls the local leaders together. He says, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people, the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But the Jews accepted, uh, excuse me, objected. I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you because of the hope of Israel, I am wearing this chain. Because of the hope of Israel. They said, hey, we, we, we haven't received letters against you. No one spoke evil against you. But, listen to what they say, verse 22. But we desire from you to hear what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Spoken against. It's lies. Don't believe it. They're deluded. So if you think today that, that the persecution you might be facing is anything new for being a believer, think again. They killed the Lord Jesus. They lied about his resurrection. And all the time, when the, when the, when the apostles are preaching in the book of Acts, there's tons of people getting saved. And there's tons of people going against it. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Peter's preaching boldly, authoritatively, the word of God, piercing God pierces their hearts. And it says, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. But those who weren't believing were against the truth. It's the way it is. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. So there is this lie that is being perpetrated. You come back to the truth. The resurrection gives us hope. The resurrection gives us hope. Look at that, the word that, that the angel said to the women in verse 7. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. He has risen from the dead. There's a few English words there. Three, four, five, depending upon which translation you're using. But it's one Greek word. One Greek word. And everything, if you're a Christian, everything you believe hinges on that one Greek word. That Jesus has been risen from the dead. Oh, by the way, that Greek word is ergethe, if you want to know. I forgot it first hour, and uh, some kids were coming and asking me, hey, what was that Greek word? It was awesome. I'm serious. But the lie robs you of hope. The truth assures you of hope. Let's talk about the hope. Let's not focus on the lie. First of all, it's a real hope. The hope that you have in Christ, if you have hope in Christ, is a real hope. The payment was accepted for sin. Therefore, in Christ, the wages of sin is overcome. What do we say when you come to faith in Christ? He saves you from the penalty of sin, the wages of sin, as well as the power of sin and someday the presence of sin. It's a real hope. It's a, it's a valid hope. And let me tell you what a fake hope is. And I think one of our problems is we use the word hope in a non-biblical way. We say, I hope my team wins. 
I hope my team comes back from that 22-point deficit it got itself in at halftime. I hope that that relationship gets restored. I hope that this situation works out. I hope I get that job. And what we're saying is, I wish it would happen. I have no certainty at all that it will happen. In fact, none of those things are certain or sure. We're just wishing that something would happen. And then we say, well, I hope Jesus comes back soon. I, I wish that... No, no, no. That's not the... It's not wishing. Biblical hope is where you are certain of what, where your hope is placed. See, what happens is we put our hopes, our, our desires on something happening that we have, we have no assurance of. The team winning, the relationship working out, the job being offered, or any other thing. The team may lose. Mine did. The job may not come forth. The, the relationship may continue to crumble. Because that's not where you're to put your hope. You're to put your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you have biblical hope, where it says we've been born again to a living hope in 1 Peter 1.3, it's a, it's, a, it's a certainty. And you hope for what you do not see. Go to, go to Romans. First Romans chapter 5. And then we'll go over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 5. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's a certainty. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us as what? A guarantee of your hope now go over to Romans 8 Romans chapter 8 verse 21 creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God there's this eager longing the basis of our hope for the revealing of the sons of God verse 22 we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. That certain hope, that promised hope. Now hope that is seen, Paul says, is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. It is a real hope that we have in Christ. It is valid. But it is also a strong hope. It is a strong hope. It is a certain hope. Go with me to, to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Hope is spoken of here as an anchor. And if you're into boating, you know that anchors are very important to keep you in one spot so you will not drift away it says in verse 19 we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul sure means certain it means it means 
secure, it means safe. Steadfast means guaranteed and grounded and unchangeable. It is a secure, safe, guaranteed, grounded, unchangeable anchor for the soul. That's your hope in Christ. It's strong. That's why you can cast all your cares upon the Lord Jesus, as 1 Peter 5, 7 says, because He cares for you, because your hope is sure, because God is stronger. Paul prayed that he would know Christ and the power of His resurrection, that he would share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, so that he would be like Him in resurrection. It is a strong hope. It is a real hope. It is a strong hope. And it is also an eternal hope. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. It is an eternal hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's not going to go anywhere. It is sure. It is certain. It's reserved in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do not see him now. But you, re- you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It is an eternal hope that we have in Christ. That is the news that the disciples got, that the ladies got about the resurrection. Jesus is alive. Everything He said is coming true. It is a glorious hope. It was a glorious appearing that when Jesus first came on the scene as a baby, being born into the darkness of of the world's sin, and a glorious appearing when he rose from the dead and, and showed himself to his disciples, and it will be a glorious appearing one day when he comes again. Colossians 3 it says, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with Him in glory. Have you believed lies? Have you believed lies so much that your heart is hardened to the truth? Have you believed life so much that when you hear the truth, it's hard for you to believe it? Have you believed so many lies that your heart is hardened and you feel like you're dead? Jesus Christ rose from the dead so that you would know the truth. The truth would set you free. The truth would give you hope. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. If you're not a Christian today, you need this word. You need this truth. 
You need to throw away the lies and believe this truth. And then you will have hope. When lies and discouragement cave in on you, what do you do? What do you do? The psalmist spoke to himself when that happened. He said, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you downcast, O my soul? He said it to himself twice. He said, hope in God, for I will yet praise him. He is my salvation. The cross of Christ is the basis of our standing in Christ. And the resurrection of Christ is the basis for our confidence in Christ. Because God gives his glorious truth, this assurance of hope, so that we might live humble, bold lives for Jesus, for his glory, and those lives will not be painless. I heard a story of an African warrior named Joseph. He was walking along a hot, dirty African road. He met someone with the gospel message. They shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. And right there, he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. The power of the Holy Spirit began transforming this man's life. And he was filled with such excitement and such wonder and such joy at coming to faith in Christ that the first thing he wanted to do was to return to his own village and tell every single one of them about Jesus and how they could have life in him too. So he began going door to door in his own village telling everyone he met about the cross, the suffering of Christ and the resurrection and the salvation that was offered. He expected to see their eyes light up with amazement. He expected them to believe this message, but it seemed they didn't care. But not only that, they became violent. The men of the village seized him and held him to the ground while the women beat him with strands of barbed wire. He was dragged from the village and left to die alone in the bush. Somehow, miraculously, he survived. He crawled to a water hole. And there, after days of passing in and out of consciousness, he found the strength to get up. He went back to his village and began again to tell them of Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen. He limped into the circle of huts and began to proclaim Christ. He died for you that you might find forgiveness and come to know the living God. He pled with them. And again, he was grabbed by the men of the village and held while the women beat him. Reopening wounds that had just begun to heal. So once more, they dragged him unconscious from the village and left him to die. So it was remarkable that he had survived that first beating. To live through a second one was a a complete miracle. And once again, days later, he awoke in the wilderness, bruised, scarred, and determined to go back. He returned to the small village and this time they attacked him before he had a chance to open his mouth. And as they flogged him for the third day and probably the last time, he again spoke to them of Jesus Christ, the Lord. And before he passed out, the last thing he saw was that the women who were beating him began to weep. So this time he awoke in his own bed. And the ones who had been so severely beating him were now trying to save his life and nurse him back to health because his whole village had come to faith in Christ. The power of the gospel. The power of God. If life is eternal, so is your hope. So your life and your choices matter. What you do in this life matters. It is not eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. It is, oh death, where is your victory? 
It is, oh, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the truth and we thank you for the hope. We thank you for the glorious truth. We thank you for the glorious hope that we have because of the death of Christ and the the humble, bold assurance we have because of his resurrection. Lord, use us for your glory.